0: Good morning if we haven't met before my name is Garrett welcome to fervent church it's a blessing to see all your faces this morning if, if you haven't filled out a connect card though we'd really like to get to know you if you could do that before you leave um, this morning we'd be extremely grateful we're going through the book of Mark and today I open the text with fear and trembling because This is something that everybody struggles with. It is forgiveness. And it is probably the most, well, it's probably, I mean, every single person in here at one point and another has struggled with forgiving somebody. Or multiple people, or a group of people, or a tribe of people, or whatever it may be. Um, maybe a church or a a pastor even, uh, an ex or a parent. And so this is a pretty heavy text, if you will, but I want to read it and before I do I want to pray that God will just open up our hearts and, and reveal anywhere that we might have unforgiveness in our hearts. Anywhere we might have that thing that is actually a cancer to the soul, the enemy of your faith, unforgiveness. Let's pray. Father, man, Lord, we just come before you right now, the great forgiver. <laughs> And we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would speak to us through your word, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, that you would heal our hearts, change our minds, make us more like you. And those that need to experience the forgiveness of you, Father God, through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would open up their hearts to receive the word of God in their lives. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 11, I'm going to b- begin in verse 25. Some of your versions have 26. Other your versions don't have 26, depending on what manuscript it was taken from. But I'm going to read both. It says, And whenever you stand praying, if, any, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive forgive your wrongdoing. December 1st, 1997, 12 students were standing in the lobby in front of the administration building praying. They just got amen off their lips, the school bell rang and gunshots rang out. A 14-year-old student with a 22 caliber pistol shot them. 3 were dead. Five were critically wounded and spent long time in the hospital, and one actually became a paraplegic. And they were praying. There's an interesting thing about the story, though, is every time the media went to the, the people and tried to get them to spew hate and bitterness and unforgiveness and wrath, they said that they had forgiven the shooter, even the parents of the dead students. Matter of fact, while the wounded girl was in the hospital, she, one of the boys came and visited her, and she was gonna, he was going to go over and visit the shooter, and the, the girl who was knew she was going to be a paraplegic all her life said, tell him I forgive him. It, it, not only did the family come around the victims and their churches come around the victims, they actually came around the shooter's family. The media was dumbfounded, but forgiveness reigned, and God was glorified. They refused to become victims and slaves to their circumstances, and they refused to hate. They chose to forgive. Now, there was a a pamphlet on your chair. I want to read that to you. It says this, it says, how to be a slave. And there's there's multiple ones. I, I would like you to just take it home with you and stick it on your refrigerator. How to become a slave. The moment you start hating a man, you become a slave. He controls your thoughts. He invades your dreams. He absorbs your creativity. Determines your appetite. He affects your digestion. He robs you of your peace of mind. He takes away the pleasure of your work. You cannot get away from the man you hate. He is with you when you wake. He is with you when you sleep. He invades your privacy when you eat. He influences the tone of your voice when you speak to your wife, your child, or your boss. He requires you to take medicines for indigestion, headaches, and loss of memory. He steals time and dissipates energy. Do you want to be a slave? Find somebody and hate them. And I would add, but forgive them. And you will find freedom. And so what I've noticed about unforgiveness is it, it, it provokes a downward spiral, if you will. And what happens is, is it starts with unforgiveness. And, 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 and if you're unwilling to forgive, a progression happens. And what happens is, first unforgiveness. And then unforgiveness turns into resentment. And then resentment turns into bitterness. And then bitterness turns into anger. And anger turns into hatred. And hatred turns into wrath and murder, even if it's just in your heart. And I don't know where you are on the downward spiral or if you're anywhere on the downward spiral at all. But I know that it can even produce insanity. (laughs) I was uh, pretty new to counseling and I was in school still, and I'm um, working on my master's degree at the time and this lady came in to receive counseling. and we we're unpacking, you know she was a sweet lady, but she was, she was just a complete mess, um, you know, struggling with, with, with de- depression and, and suicidal thoughts and and she couldn't keep a relationship together to save her life. And I was sitting there talking to her, and I, and, and I was just talking to the Lord, and I was asking, Lord, I need a, a word for this lady. This is the second time I saw her, and I, I need a word for this lady. And she kept every once in a while bringing up something that happened to her when she was 10, but she never really gave me any more information. And all of a sudden I said, Have you ever forgiven that person that did that to you at the age of 10? She lost her mind. She got up. She sweeped all my stuff off my desk. She began to kick my wall, jerk my pictures off the wall, screaming and cursing and cussing at me. And literally out of her mind. And she kicked open my door. And all the other pastors came rushing out. And the secretaries came running in. And she began to spew venom at them and spit at them and knock pictures off the wall and hit things. And and, and finally, she finally got out of the building. She said, All you pastors say the same thing. No, the Bible says the same thing. And the poison of unforgiveness had absolutely, totally ruined her capacity to even live life. And it's heartbreaking. And it can produce nothing else. It is the cancer of the soul. Soul. I don't know if this is. I think this is a quote from John Piper, but if if I'm wrong, just forgive me. But it says this. It says usually people that come in for counseling fit into one of three categories: those who are struggling with guilt and shame, those who, with a propensity to blame others, or those withholding forgiveness for wrongs done to them. It's absolutely debilitating. It'll rob you of your sleep, it'll it'll affect your social interactions, it'll affect your marriage, it'll affect your parenting, it'll affect it'll affect your, your your daily job, it'll affect all kinds of things in your life, the toxic thoughts and everything. It will stunt your spiritual growth if you're harboring unforgiveness. And if you're harboring unforgiveness, your soul is sick. It can't be healthy. And that's why Jesus tells us, he says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your wrongdoing. Because there's so much freedom in forgiveness. The great God, the great Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of glory. If we look at the cross, it is dripping with forgiveness. It is dripping with his blood. And that's what I love most about my king and my savior. I can run to the fount. I can run to the cross. And be healed. Time and time again. Because God's forgiveness is so great. Our sin is so deep that we can't go under it. Our sin is so so wide that we can't go around it. Our sin is so high that we can't go over it. But then Jesus just comes along and boom, makes us clean in a blink, in a blink of an eye. Do you love Jesus this morning? <laughs> yes. You have progressed now and people progress all the time to the bitterness stage. And then out of that just continues to flow more and more and more and more dysfunction. I had to check my heart. Things done to me continually, on a continual basis. And what I found is, and this is the thing that works the best for me, and maybe um, I would drive by this one guy's work that really... um, did awful things to me and my family. And every day I drove by his work, I would, I would, I would spend probably three or four minutes in prayer for the, the brother. And what I realized is is my heart all of a sudden stopped being angry and stopped being uh, uh, consumed towards him and what he had done and the, the situations that he had put me in. And my heart began to actually really mean it. I actually wanted his well-being. I actually wanted to see him be blessed and thrive. And it is an amazing thing that God did. And when I, I wouldn't stand praying, but I drove by. And when I was praying, I would begin to pray for him. And I said, Lord, bless him. Bless his business. Bless his family. God, God, do so much in his life. God began to change my heart. Because that's what God does. There's a story that Ernest Hemingway wrote, and it's a short story. Maybe you've heard it, but this son had gotten uh, uh, estranged from his dad. He had sinned against his dad greatly, and and they were separated now, and there was there was no possible chance of reconciliation, but. This, this man's dad decided he was going to go look for him. And he, he'd heard that he's out on the street somewhere. But instead of doing that, he decided to put an ad in a newspaper. He said, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at 2 o'clock. And they were in Spain, Madrid. All is forgiven, Papa. Well, the father shows up at the hotel and there's 800 Pacos Seeking forgiveness. Why? Because that is the longing of our heart. We seek forgiveness. Why is it so hard for us to give it when we seek it? Maybe there's somebody that you want to be forgiven by. And I think about the prodigal son. I love that story. And, and, and yeah, the guy ends up in the pig pen. Well, some of you that are new to the scriptures, I'll just share it real quick. This, this kid, he, he wants his inheritance. He grabs the inheritance. He said, give me my inheritance. I know you're not dead yet, Dad, but I want it. So he gives him the inheritance. He goes out, and he begins to uh, be with drunkards and uh, uh, prostitutes and spending on lavish uh, living. And he ends up spending it all. all his friends leave him, and he ends up in a pig pen. He finds a job feeding hogs. And he's so hungry that he he said, I'll even eat the pods of the peas. He ended up in the pig pen. His sin ended him up up in the pig pen. But that's not my favorite part of the story, his repentance. My favorite part of the story is, he says, well, I'll just go home to my father. Maybe he'll make me one of his slaves or one of his servants. And so he goes back to the father, and the father is gazing the horizon. And I love this about the story. He sees his son coming and what does he do? He jumps off the porch and he runs to the son. Because that is what our heavenly father does for us. He runs to us when we, he is there waiting for us. And when he sees us coming back in repentance to receive forgiveness, what does he do? He comes and he runs to us and he embraces us. Oh, I love my God because I'm such a sinner. But he's madly in love with me. What? Turn with me to Matthew 18, if you would. God is the ultimate forgiver, guys. The gospel message is nothing but forgiveness. And more forgiveness. And more forgiveness. Oh. Thank you, Lord, because I so need you. Why is it so hard for us to forgive when God has forgiven us so much? Matthew 18, verse 21. And we're going to go through these scriptures. This is the, the parable of the ungrateful servant. You guys know it, most of you. I'll begin in verse 21. It says, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? you got to understand. The, the rabbi said you had, to, you had to forgive somebody three times and then you're done. So Peter thought he was being spiritual, right? Peter thinks he's being spiritual. And he goes, hey, Lord, seven times? And, G- and Jesus flips it on his head. What does he say? He says this. He says... He says, um, but Jesus replied, but 70 times 7. He changes everything. 490 times. Yeah, and I don't think Jesus was putting a number on it. Because I sinned 490 times by the time I was 8 years old. Maybe younger than that, right? I got some... some, uh, children and they sin like 50 times in one day right but the grace of God the magnitude of the dripping cross of forgiveness of Jesus Christ is mind boggling and Jesus ups the end he says 70 times 7 I you, you got to. in Luke it says this it says this it says if he keeps coming and asking forgiveness, you have to keep forgiving him. So Jesus upsiani continually to keep, keep forgiving. Verse 23, he says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now, in Romans times, guys, I've shared this with you before, but it's extremely important. A talent is 6,000 denarii. A denarii is one day's wage, okay? So what he's saying is, is this guy owed 10,000 talents, okay? So it would take 17 years for 10,000 people to pay this back. It's, it's, it, it, you can't pay it back. It's so huge that it cannot be paid back. It's, it, it's beyond, the debt is beyond pain. What is Jesus doing right there? He's correlating it to us. Guys, you have a debt that you can't pay. I had a debt that I couldn't pay. And Jesus forgave that debt and took it upon him on the cross. And I was, my slate was wiped clean. So stop trying to pay the debt. It's not yours to own and it is not yours to pay. It has been paid. Paid. Matter of fact, Jesus says, it is finished. That actually can be translated, paid in full. Let let those words sink in. Yet how often do we want our pound of flesh... Verse 25? Yeah, verse 25. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. That's only 100 days wages. He grabbed him and started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At, at this, his fellow servant fell down and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went, him, went and threw him into prison until he paid everything was owed. The first servant deserved no grace, no mercy, but received both. God's forgiveness. And the last guy sought mercy and grace and received none. Do you see the picture here? We have been forgiven of a debt that we cannot pay. Unsurmountable debt. And Jesus paid it. Yet why is it so hard for us to forgive the debts owed to us? I think this guy forgot the famous verse, right? He who's been forgiven much, loves much. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. We all have a tendency to minimize our own sin and maximize everybody else's, right? What we can do to others better not be done to us. (laughs) Verse 31. When the other servants saw that what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went out and reported to their master everything that had happened. Notice right there, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger always defiles many. Says in Hebrews that bitterness defiles many and it's the cancer of the soul. And what happened here is now these guys are defiled. They see it, they're so distressed, they, they don't even know what to do. Because, guys, I'm telling you, the fruit of unforgiveness, especially when you're at the bottom of the downward spiral, when you're at the bottom of the progression. can only do one thing, and that is defile your family and your friends and all your relationships and, and where you work. I mean, it, it, is, it is, it can do nothing else. Verse 32, then after he had summoned them, he, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? As I had mercy on you. And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers, notice this, to be tortured. Some of your Bibles say handed him over to the tormentors and torturers. Until he had paid everything that was owed. And so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Many of us sitting here today are probably thinking, I can't believe this guy. What is wrong with this guy? Why is this guy like this? Why, 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 why was he such a jerk, right? Why why did he do this? I mean, why why didn't he forgive the other guy's debt? Yet here's the here's the problem I see, and I see it continually. We will worship the Lord and and we will hear the word of God and we will take communion together and then we'll go out in the the parking lot and we will see somebody that has done us wrong and we will want to go over there and choke the snot out of them. In our hearts and our minds. right? I want my pound of flesh. How do you know if you haven't forgiven somebody? What happens when they call? What happens if you're in the shopping market, you know, cruising along with a shopping cart and turn the corner and there he is. And your stomach gets all twisted up. You begin to sweat. Your kids are talking to you, but you're not hearing a word they're saying. Because now you're at the hatred stage and you you, you just you can't deal with it and you you back up and you try to make sure that he or she doesn't see you and you go a different way and And guys, this is bad. And then you get on the phone, right? Call somebody. Maybe a hundred people. And you begin to slander and gossip that person. Or when you're in a, a group and somebody says something good about that person at church and you're like, oh, well, you don't know what I know. Right? Chances are you probably haven't forgiven them. It's just a fact. And so, why is it so important that we forgive? Because unforgiveness can only produce bad fruit in our lives. It, it can do nothing else. And it, it, your unforgiveness will turn into resentment and then bitterness and then anger, and then hatred, then gossip and slander, and then wrath and then murder and then. Even insanity, because you can, it can produce nothing else. And so I'm pleading with you this morning to check your hearts. And, and look, look what it says. Remember it says the torturers and the torturers or the tormentors. God knows if you don't forgive, you will be handed over to the torturers and the tormentors. You will be tortured in your very soul. You, with your anger, your bitterness, your frustration, your spite, your hatred that gives you high blood pressure and ulcers and, and headaches and migraines and eats your insides out and, and robs your sleep. And those unrelentless tortures and torturers of an unforgiven ha- heart will stalk you day and night. It will spiritually cripple you. It will physically cripple cripple you. It will emotionally cripple, cripple you. Guys, I'm telling you right now, it will have no remorse. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody in their golden years. Have you ever met somebody in their 60s, 70s, and 80s that are just so toxic and so bitter? And you talk to them. The kids don't want to come visit. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around. Matter of the fact, the nurses are like, oh my goodness, if she's in a home, whatever. You know, I've seen this so many times. Hey, will you please go visit my mom? She's so angry. And 99.8% of the times, I can trace it to unforgiveness. second thing it does from our text there is it puts you in prison. It'll put you in the prison of unforgiveness. And although we've had 10,000 talents of our debt forgiven, we still continue to rage. Guys, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Don't leave here without searching your heart. There's somebody you need to call, somebody you need to forgive. Let it go. But Garrett, just waking you guys up that are sleeping. You don't understand. You don't know what they've done to me. Don't know you don't. They, they violated me. They 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 slandered and ridiculed me. They cheated on me. They they stole everything from me. I lost everything because of them. I lost my purity because of them. If you don't, you don't even understand what they did to my family, Garrett. And I won't even forgive God for allowing it to happen to me. And you don't understand the shame that I feel. Well, I'll tell you about shame, my friends. There's one person I know that endured everything the greatest shame on the planet, the one that came from glory, who came from heaven. His name is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Son of God and God the Son came down, left glory and perfection and everything for you and came down and was ridiculed and was mocked and was beaten and was betrayed and was stabbed in the back and had a crown of thorns shoved on his head and his back ripped open and and was slapped in the face and spit in his face and his beard ripped out and hit with reeds and, and, and nailed to a cross and stripped naked and nailed to a cross. And hung there naked in sh- in for three million pilgrims during the Passover to walk by and shake their head and wag their head at him and, 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 and curse at him. That is shame. And then took my 10,000 talents of my sin on himself while he hung on that cross for me. Man, that's Beautiful. And the cross dripping with forgiveness. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking unto Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who the joy was set before me, endured the cross despite the shame. There it is. Endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you do not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus had every reason not to forgive. Jesus had every reason to destroy his creation, but you know what he cried out from that cross and these glorious words that I have to tell them myself this all the time. I have to tell myself this all the time. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And Jesus hung there and he said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And his grace and his mercy and his love were poured out on that cross for you and for me. Isn't that beautiful? Praise Jesus. And that's the good news, my friends. And we got to stop holding on and carrying it around with you. It's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. Some people carry it for their whole lifetime. It's like one apple in a, in a bucket of fruit. Pretty soon the whole apple's consumed, and then it starts consuming everything around it with its rotting. And, guys, this is only eight words in the Greek language, but I love it. It says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Guys, unforgiveness is a vampire that'll suck the life right out of you. There's a woman in a church where I was pastoring in San Diego. One day she was cornered and she was being raped. And this woman began to preach the gospel to this man while she was being raped. Telling him that God loved him and that God would forgive them. And and in the act said, I forgive you and I love you and I want you to meet my Savior and my King Jesus. The dude stopped. He began to weep and she led him in the sinner's prayer right there on the spot. But it gets better than that. This guy's way more of a stud than I've ever dreamed of being. But she takes her, takes this guy in her car to her house, to her husband, and tells him what happens. And he praises God. I'd be like, I can ask forgiveness later, right? No, I don't know. I might have had the grace at the time. You, you, You just don't know, right? But this, they begin to disciple this guy. This guy is still in the church to this day. The same church, another guy, him and his wife. They're going up to, on a drive up to Julian, which is this, this beautiful place above San Diego with apple orchards and, and, and homemade apple pie. And, and they're on their way, and he gets a flat tire. And the four kids and the wife are in the car. He gets out to change the tire, and he's undoing the tire. And a drunk driver comes about 70 miles an hour. Bam, the whole car blows all over the freeway and kills everybody but him. And he's sit there, standing there with the jack iron in his hand. This is no joke. And instead of being unforgiven and, and, and turning bitter and, 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 and being resentful and hateful and cursing God, and, and what does he do? He goes and visits this guy and begins to preach the gospel to this drunk driver. And this wasn't this guy's first drunk driving. He wasn't going to let unforgiveness own him. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And you guys remember the story of Joseph, right? Joseph, he has a dream. His brothers begin to hate him and get angry at him. And they take him and they, 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 they strip off his coat of many colors. And they throw him in the well. And they're going to kill him. But they don't kill him. They, 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 these Ishmaelite. Guys are passing by and they decide to. uh, Reuben, I think it was, tries to talk him into, selling him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery and he goes and he becomes a slave in this house. Potiphar's wife begins putting the moves on Joseph and Joseph resists. He says, How can I do that to my my owner and how can I do that to my uh, uh, God? And so she gives a fake rape charge against him and he ends up in jail. So now he went from being a slave, now he's in prison. And he begins to serve as God there. He doesn't grow bitter, he doesn't grow angry, he doesn't grow hateful, he he doesn't... Not forgive his brothers. He makes the best of his situation, and he begins to flourish in the prison. And then, of course, he interprets dreams, and he and he and he goes in front of Pharaoh, and he becomes second most powerful man in all the nation, next to Pharaoh. And then his brothers come to get food because the whole nation is starving, everywhere is starving except Egypt because he has stored the, the grain because of his wisdom. And what happens? In Genesis 45, 5, when he sees his brother, he says, Now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to establish a remnant within the land and keep you alive by a great deliverance. And then, of course, in in, um, Genesis 50, verse 19, 19 and 21, he said, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Let that ring out. Don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? You plant evil against me. God planted for my good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. No victim mentality, no blame shifting, no coddled misery, no self-pity, no longing for vengeance. Forgiveness frees us, and he gave it freely. Fully, freely, and unconditionally. And I'm going to close with one more Bible story. And I'm going to go into detail because I know a lot of you are new to the Bible. So I want to make sure that you get the whole picture here. There was a man after God's own heart by the name of King David. He was favored by God. Blessed by God. He'd been given the kingdom. He'd been promised that the Messiah would come through him. And one day while all his armies went out to war... He was walking on his rooftop, and he looked over and he saw a woman bathing. And he sent for her, and he brought her to him, even after they warned him and said, Isn't that Uriah's wife? (laughs) And he brought her anyways, and he gets her pregnant. So he sends for Uriah and gets him drunk and says, Go sleep with your wife to cover up his tracks, to cover up his sin. And the guy wouldn't do it. He was too honorable. He goes, I'm not going to sleep with my wife while all these people, all my troops and all my friends are out there in the field. Warring. Now Uriah was one of David's mighty men. 37 mighty men. He was one of his mighty men. And there was another mighty man that was one of David's mighty men. And his name was Eliam. So David, remember that name. Eliam was Bathsheba's father so we have these two men that were in the cave of abdul being chased by saul running from one place to the next they're in this cave right and uh they were with each other together fighting battles and surviving why saul the king saul wanted to kill david because he knew that king david was going to become king so these guys are tight they fellowship together they hung out together they were buddies And Eliam saw Bathsheba and said, I love Uriah. I'm going to give Bathsheba to Uriah as a wife. But David took her. So David, to cover his tracks, he sends Uriah to the front of the line, tells Joab, send Uriah to the front of the line. So Uriah goes to the front of the line, and boom, he gets killed. So now David can have his wife. He thinks his sin's all covered up. Everything's hunky-dory. But Nathan the prophet comes and busts him, calls him out on his sin, and David begins this process of repentance, Psalm 51, if you won't take in notes and you want to read it later. One thing that Nathan said is, the sword won't ever depart from your house. Now, one of his sons, probably in line to be king, Absalom, Absalom, well let me back up, another son Amnon, Absalom has a sister named Tamar, his half brother Amnon fakes being sick so that he can rape his half sister Tamar which is Absalom's sister, Absalom in his unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred, Sets up a party at his house. While his party's there, he has two of his servants kill Amnon, which is David's son. David doesn't really deal with it. He just kind of banishes Absalom for four years. Absalom gets banished. Somebody said, why don't you bring Absalom back? So David brings Absalom back, but he doesn't really meet with him. And Absalom becomes even more bitter, more angry. And because David didn't deal right with Amnon when he raped his sister and so on and so forth. So you see this, this, and by the way, and then Tamar ends up by herself for the rest of her life. So this whole thing is starting to get messy. And then what happens is Absalom takes chariots and, he, and 50 men and he begins to ride through town and he begins to sit in the city gate like any good politician and say, Well, if I was, if I was king, if I was king, I would hear your problems. I would fix your problems. And he turned the heart of the people against David. And then he began to rebel against his father, blew the trumpet, and basically his father had to flee for his life with a a, a few people out of Jerusalem. After David flees, a man named Ahithophel shows up on the scene. Let me tell you a little bit about Ahithophel. Now, the, uh, the advice of Ahithophel in those days was like someone asking about a word from God, which was the regard that both David and Absalom had to Ahithophel's advice. So this is like the oracles of God. This guy was like the wisest man in all of Israel. And he gives Absalom a decree, but God thwarted the plan. God had thwarted the plan. And he says, you need to go now and you need to kill David and everybody. Quickly, do it now. And and, uh, Absalom listened to the younger men that were his buddies. Before it's all done, Absalom goes out, attacks David a, a, a short time after, but by then David has assembled his men and they're ready for him. And David's men completely wipe him out and Absalom now is dead. But when Ahithophel heard the news that Absalom wasn't going to take his advice. He went out, got his house in order, and hung himself. And David said of Ahithophel, it says, Now, is this not an enemy who insults me? Otherwise, I could bear it. It is not a foe who rises up against me. Otherwise, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man who is my peer, my companion, and my good friend. We used to have close fellowship. We used to walk with the crowd into the house of God. What happened to Ahithophel? Ahithophel had a son by the name of Eliam and had a granddaughter by the name of Bathsheba. Do you see the transgression going on here? Do you see the downward spiral going on here? He had, after David had slept with Bathsheba, he went away into his house for 10 years and sat there for 10 years, stewing, waiting, plotting his revenge. And before it was all done, 20,000 Israelites would be dead. That's 20,000 moms and uh, mothers and fathers and grandfathers and cousins and best friends. All it can do is produce more bitterness and unforgiveness. Before it was all done, 20,000 people lay dead. Can you imagine the parents of those, of those, of those kids that have, that have just died? Now they're bitter. Now they're angry. Now they're wondering why. Why? And Ahithophel stewed and stewed and stewed until he got a chance to get his revenge, and then he took it, and it was thwarted, and then he went out and he hung himself. Kind of a happy little story, isn't it? But here's what they did not realize God was dealing with David. David had repented. David was broken. David had come to the point where he was completely and totally bankrupt before God. God was dealing with David. And they didn't even know it. I mean, he had lost two sons. His his, his, his half his, his his daughter had been raped. I mean, he is going through a hard, hard time. And he writes the beautiful Psalm 51 of repentance. Cleanse my heart, God. Wash me. Make me white. My bones feel as if they've been broke. And see, you don't know what, they're, what God is doing. Let me tell you something right now. If this person that hurt you when you were a little kid or whatever never repents, they will be in hell and in separation from the, from the Heavenly Father for all eternity. They'll get theirs. But if they do repent, and this is the hard one, or they are somebody in the body of Christ, this is the hard one. You will be with them forever. In glory. Now that's a hard, hard one for me to swallow. Right? Am I alone? So now what? How about some more Good news. Do you remember when the Israelites were coming out of the land of Egypt? And they began to complain and murmur against Moses, and they were thirsty, and they came to this spring, and they drank the spring, and that spring was called Mara, which means bitter. You guys remember the story? So here's a couple million Israelites marching along. They get to this spring, they taste it, it's bitter, and they're like, ah, oh, it's poison, we're oh, gonna die, and God talks to Moses or Moses goes and talks to God and God and here's the coolest thing man this this thing is bitter mara and God says Moses do you see that tree over there take that tree and throw it into that bitter water and you know what happened The Bible says it became sweet. So what do we do? What's that got to do with us? We take the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross of Jesus Christ turns our bitterness to sweetness. We, We look at Jesus hanging on the cross. And we say, Lord, forgive me. We say, Lord, thank you. Lord, we praise you. Thank you for forgiving my 10,000 talents of sin, my debt that I could not pay. And Lord, would you give me strength to forgive whoever? Would you give me strength to pray for that person? Would you give me strength to run to the cross The only thing in this world that can make something bittersweet in our lives. And we trust Jesus. And we stand before the dripping cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of forgiveness. And we let him cleanse us. Even as Christ forgave you, so you all must do. Also must do. Guys, it's a beautiful thing, the cross of Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven so much. And I stand up here and I'm pleading with you don't wait another second. The worship team's going to come up right now. Here's what I want you to do while you're worshiping pray for that person, pray for that ex, pray for that parent, pray for that uncle that neighbor, that business partner. It's not going to be easy, guys, even that child. It's not going to be easy, but I'm pleading with you. Just start baby steps. Let God touch your heart. Let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Not positional righteousness. I'm talking about practical righteousness, sanctification. Let God Have his way in your heart and your mind and and watch what happens. I can tell you honestly, it took probably a year for me to drive by that guy's business and pray for him before the Lord changed my heart. But every day I drove to the church, I prayed for him every single time. Six days a week, drove by there, prayed. Went to the grocery store, drove by there, prayed. Matter of fact, I even prayed with my wife when we were together. We're going to pray for him. We're going to pray for him right now. She's like, let's do it. Ask your spouse to pray over you. Ask your parents to pray over you. Ask your friends to pray over you. Ask me to pray over you. This is an ongoing battle in our lives, guys, because we're going to get hurt again. <laughs> That's not funny. God loves you, He wants you to be free, He wants to heal your broken heart. He wants to bless you. You're the apple of his eye. His thoughts towards you are as great as the sand of the seashore. Have you ever put sand in a, in a frisbee and tried to count them? Good luck with that. That's his thoughts towards you. As great as the sand of all the seashore. His, your name is written on the palm of his hand. You're constantly on his mind and his thoughts. He is madly in love with you. If you're a blood-bought saint of God, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, He is madly in love with you. And He has forgiven you past, present, and future sins. No one can pluck you out of His hand. Walk in it today. Amen? Amen? Let's worship the Lord together.